Um, this is the class of Pashas A. The topic is Tzedakah. There are three places in Torah where the Torah focuses on the mitzvah of Tzedakah. The first is in Pashas Mishpatim, which focuses more on the mitzvah of Imkesef Talva, of giving loans. Truth of the matter is, our Pasha also does, but it talks about Tzedakah as well. The second time is in Pasha's Bahar, which talks about the laws of Shemitah, the sabbatical, so it's mentioned. And the third is our Pasha, Pasha's Re'eh. And you have one of the most blatant contradictions in Chumash, where literally from Pasuk Dalet till Pasuk Yeralef, Hashem changes his mind. It's one of those things which is very, very blatant. It's very obvious that the Torah is in conflict. Literally, from, on the same page, from Pasuk Dalet to Pasuk Yeralef. It's one of the topics that has always uh, intrigued me. So I had the excuse, I had the opportunity, so I did some preparing. And that's what we're going to be touching on. We're going to be learning this discussion about um, Tzedakah in Pasha's Re'eh. I want to say one thing as a stage setter. In our Pasha, we have the laws of Shemitah, the laws of the sabbatical, okay, the laws of the seventh year. The laws of Shemitah are found in Chumash, in Vayikra, in Pasha's Bahar. But there's a basic difference between the laws of Shemitah that you have in Vayikra and the laws of Shemitah that you have in Dvarim. And the difference is that in Vayikra, the Torah speaks primarily about what's called Hashmatas Karkois. The idea that on the seventh year, you're not allowed to use the real estate, you're not allowed to do farming, you're not allowed to do harvesting, and so forth and so on. Even when things grow, they don't belong to you, they belong to everybody, and so forth. In Sefer Dvarim, in our parasha, the Torah adds the mitzvah called Hashmatas Ksofim. Hashmatas Ksafa means that if you lend somebody money and Shemitah comes, and according to most opinions, and Shemitah goes, the debt is erased automatically. I'll say that again. In the times of the Beis HaMikdash, certainly in times of the first Beis HaMikdash, if a person borrowed money from you, you lent them money, and Shemitah came and Shemitah left, Shemitah is mashmit Ochayv. All debts are erased. Now there are a number of ways of getting around this, the, uh, the classic way is to take collateral, take a, uh, a mashkin, right? In today's day and age, you can't get a loan without a collateral, right? It's called a mortgage, right? Your house is collateral against your loan or some piece of something that you can't take and run off and hide. If a loan is given with collateral, so then because the mashkin was taken by the lender, uh, there's no din of Hashmatas it is a very powerful mitzvah. It's a powerful mitzvah because it takes an awful lot of a, a lot of a moon in Hashem to practice. Especially as you're going to see momentarily in the Chumash. That the Chumash says, it's a couple of days before Shemitah, and someone comes to lend me a couple of dollars, and you say, I'll lend you the money today, it's, it's flushing it down the toilet. So the Ebishter says, you have to trust the Ebishter. And this is a very, very significant and powerful mitzvah. And there's great meaning to the fact that this halacha of Hashmatas Ksafim, this idea that when the seventh year comes and the seventh year goes, all loans are erased, applied only in Eretz Yisrael. It doesn't apply in Chuzlaret. And it only applied when all the Jewish people lived in the land. Once the ten tribes, once Aseris Hashratim were exiled, the laws of Hashmatas Ksafim no longer applied. The Chachamim brought it back. Chachamim said that they should apply Hashmatas Ksafim nowadays. And then the Chachamim decided that it wasn't realistic, 
So the Chachamim added what's called a prusbul. A prusbul means a, another way out of the Shemitah year annulling all debts. This is the discussion that we have in our Pasha. The Pasha talks about Shemitah, and in conjunction with talking about Shemitah, it talks about Tzedakah. One more thing about Tzedakah that you need to know, which I'm really not going to be exploring so much tonight, but the time will come. And that is that there are two basic categories in Tzedakah. The lower category is called Tzedakah. Tzedakah means charity. You give a person money. The higher category of tzedakah is called milas chasadim. Milas chasadim means you do a person a favor. The distinction between tzedakah and milas chasadim is tzedakah is to give a person money, and then when a person uses the money for his needs, in milas chasadim you lend the person money, and the person is intent on paying it back. It's much more honorable. And the Gemara says that tzedakah is for poor people, Gemilas chasadim is bein la'aniyim, bein la'ashim. Wealthy people also need to borrow money. And according to Teda, Gemilas chasadim is yoysim and tzedakah. Lending a person money is considered a greater act of tzedakah than actually giving the person the money outright. And in the classes that we've had over the years, I touched, talked about it. If a person asks you for $100, give them $100. You give them the $100 and it's over. If a person asks you for $100 and I'm paying it back, and you give them $100. Until that debt is paid, you're connected to that person. It's sometimes easier just to give the money away than to expect to get the money back. And now, Pitaira, it's a bigger mitzvah to lend money and take it back. You know why? Because if you lend money and you don't take it back, you don't lend again. You know, if you, 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 a lot of people here are very young, so you don't know how loans work. When you come for a loan, they want to have an udab, they want to have a guarantor. And somebody who's actually going to pay the debt if you don't pay it. And you think, why is he being so mean? Why can't he trust me? And the answer is because he wants to lend money to you and he wants to lend money to another person, and to another person, to another person. Because each time you lend money, you're doing another mitzvah. And Gemilas Chasadim is dafke, is emphatically when you give the money and you expect it back. It's not cruel. It's respectful. It's respectable. So these two mitzvahs, Tzedakah, so now we're going to read the Chumash and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay? So um, the Pasuk begins Dalit. Ephes. Ephes means, what does Ephes mean? However, or but, or emphasis. There will not be amongst few poor people. Kivarech Yebarach Hashem, God Almighty is going to bless you. Ba'aretz on the land, Asher Adeshem Elokech Hanesem Lochan Machal, that Hashem gives you as an inheritance, Ladishta, for you to conquer and to inherit. So the Pasuk predicts that there are not going to be any poor people, there's not going to be any poor people, you're not going to have to worry about giving a loan and not being able to collect it, because no poor people. The Tater predicts that Yidna are going to have no poor people. Rak, the rule is, however, You have to listen to the words of the Eibishter, Lishme to guard, which goes on Lesase. Lase is to do, which goes on Mitzvah Sase. It's called a Mitzvah Zeis, all of the commandments that Hashem commands us today. And he continues, you recognize these psukim from Vayitan Lacha, Moshe Rabbeinu Pashat copied them over from the Alta Rebbe Siddur. Kadeshem Alekecha Berachacha, God Almighty blesses you. Kashadi Balach, as he spoke about you. Vahavatat Goyim Rabbim, you will lend money to many peoples. And you will not borrow. You will rule many peoples. And they won't rule you. I just want you to know 
The word vahavatata does not mean to lend and to borrow. It means to take a mashka, to take collateral. But the assumption is that there is an avot, there is a collateral when there is a loan. You understand? So when it says vahavatata, um, it means when you're going to take a mashkin because you've given a loan. And then Pasuk Zayin continues, if perhaps there will be amongst you poor people, and one of your brothers, one of your gates, do not harden your heart. Do not clench your fist. From your brother, the poor person. You have to open. And the double lashon, means multiple times. As you had light to him. You should lend him. What he needs to sustain himself. Which he is lacking. And I'm sure you know what Chazal say. You have no obligation to make a person wealthy. Deimachsayri means what he needs. And what does a person need? That depends on the person. If a person had once been very wealthy, and Nebuch fell on hard times, Deimachsayri is the lifestyle to which he was accustomed. The person was poor, Deimachsayri is to sustain that um, standard. I'm warning you. You can have a thought in your heart, Bliyal. Bliyal is no good. In Rashi it says that Bliyal is a term that denotes of a disorder, uh, idol worship. In one of the versions it says, Bliyal means Bliyaliyah. You don't want to lift yourself to a higher madriga of Avedis Hashem. Layman. And you're going to tell yourself as follows. Karva Shnas Hashem. Shemitah is coming. Shnas Hashemitah, the Shemitah here. Vira'a Eincha. And your eyes are going to become negative. Bachicha Evian toward your brother who is poor. Why? Because you know that if you lend the money now, there's a great possibility you're never going to see it again. Well, they see it in like You don't want to give them. And they make all kinds of pretenses, tell stories, excuses. I don't have the money is locked up. He's going to call Tashem about you. And this will constitute a sin. Give him. And again, it's a double lashem. Don't even feel bad that you're basically flushing your money down the toilet. Give it to him with a good heart. It is because of this matter that you give tzedakah and you even give loans in a, in a circumstance where there's a possibility you won't be able to reclaim them. He blesses you in all of your deeds, in all of your endeavors, all of your efforts, all of your investments. You should know that the word biglau is interpreted by some like the word Galgal. To interpret, to indicate the idea that Panasa and Hatzlacha is a Galgal it's a It's a wheel of fortune that spins. And uh, it's a good idea to stay on top. And therefore you should give to Dog. Now comes the Pasuk. There will never be a point where there will be no poor people on the land. Okay, therefore, and I command you as follows, open up your hand, your hand, to your brother, who is impoverished, was even more poor, in your land. So, any person with rudimentary knowledge of Hebrew sees a contradiction, right? On page one, it says in Pasuk Dalet, there will be no poor people. And in Pasuk Yeralev, the Ebesha says, There will never be a point where there will not be rich and poor. No. 
contradiction, right? Huh? It's pretty obvious. And I, I don't know why I have, as a child even, I always was consumed by this little contradiction in Ashi, especially considering, it's not like you have a Pasuk in Pasha's Bushalach and the Pasuk in Pasha's A. It's literally the same sequence of Pesukim. It's one of the most direct parts of Torah that talk about the mitzvah of Tzedakah. Tzedakah is such an important mitzvah. This is one of the most powerful places. And from, from the beginning to the end, he starts off saying, you don't have to worry, there's not going to be any poor Jews. And he says, there are always going to be poor Jews, so make sure to give loans. This is the, the, the question that our class is going to revolve around, in addition to the fact that obviously we're going to be talking about Tzedakah. And I want to do this a little bit out of order. Okay, I'm going to ask all of you to turn to page 10. Okay, all the pages are numbered at the bottom. Okay, this is an abarbanel, or an abarbanel, depending on your pronunciation. The left side of the page. I am reading this abarbanel as an introduction to the class. This is not a direct part of the class. This is a, a stage setter, if you will, to the class. Okay? The Ababinel says something very interesting. And I'm going to tell you the point of the Ababinel, and then as is the custom of this class, we're going to read the text. To be a Jew takes faith. It goes without saying. You have to believe, right? We can eat, sleep, and be merry, and instead we daven, and we learn, and we do mitzvahs, and we cut of other people. Why? Because we believe that there's, there's an Eishter, there's a Creator. There's a higher purpose, there's also a higher responsibility. And, um, and we want to conform. We want to commit, I'll give you several, to commit ourselves to this higher standard, to this higher avoida in, in, in our personal lives. How from one is, should be, and I suppose it is, a direct reflection of how much faith one has. The more you believe, the greater trust you have in Hashem. And the greater trust you have in Hashem, the more you're able to serve Hashem at the expense of yourself, right? The Eilik of Hashem was not able to sleep at night if there was money in his house. Why? Because keeping money in his house overnight to him meant that he didn't trust that Tamar Debish was going to give him money again. So his daughter, who was a very holy woman, had a bonus Odl. After that, Hashem daughter's name was Odl. And the reason her name was Odl is because Odl is an abbreviation. Eish, Das, Lamay. Hashem said he took her neshama from the Taira, imagine having a daughter that took your neshama from the Taira, and she needed money early in the morning, so she kept some money around, she didn't tell her father, and the father says, I can't sleep, there's money in the house. <laughs> the Baal Shem Tev couldn't sleep if there was any, what was called in Lashem Mechazal, Tas Vesalei, you paid attention to last week's Chitas, you read about the Mon, right? the Mon was such a Baruch, and the Pasek calls it a test, Kimenaseh, you read last week's Pasha, it says that the man was a test. The question becomes, how could the man be a test? You did nothing for your panasa. It came to you literally from heaven. And if you were lucky, it landed by your front door. Not only that, there was no waste. The man was the perfect food. It was nivla by vodim. It produced no waste. It was, it was mamish, pure minerals and vitals with malachim, with food for malachim. And it was a test. What was the test? The cabinets were bare. There was no food for a rainy day. There was no such thing as a resource, as a reservoir. There was no such thing as a just in case. You understand? There was no such thing. And there was a certain element of trust. When you finish up the month, you literally had no food till the Abishu was going to feed you 
personally again, and you waited for the food. The food didn't come. You just continue to wait. That was the test. The Helika Bashemtet Zemune was in such a high madrege that if somebody did something near him that indicated a limit in Emune, I mean, to keep money, we have money in, in bank accounts and in, and in uh, all kinds of investments and, and security accounts and so forth. The Bashemtet couldn't keep money because it was a simon that he didn't trust that every day Hashem is going to provide for that day. Because the Bashemtet Zemune, Bashemtet Zemune, the expectation upon the Bashemta, the assumed standard of the Bashemta was such that he wasn't allowed to even make a Kali and tell of a Banasa. It had to come every day new from the Mabish. This is the Bashemta. We are not the Bashemta. We can't live that way. So the rule is like this the holier we are, the more Betachem we have to have. The greater Hashem. Uh, assumes us to be and the greater his expectation of us. For example, in Eretz Yisrael, there's laws of Shemitah, of a sabbatical, right? What does Shemitah mean? Once in seven years, there's no harvest. Think about it. Imagine if you're a farmer, once in seven years, no food. That's it, no food. What am I going to eat? Mandan Hashemah. Last year's food, next year's food, the Ebishter's food. In Eretz Yisrael, there's a lachas of Shemitah. Why? It's just also holy your land. A Jew is closer to Hashem. It's easier to see the hand, the miracles of God Almighty. And Hashem expects us to have so much amun and betachet that once in the Shemitah, there's no panos. It's awesome. You think about Shemitah, when you don't think about it, it doesn't bother you. We go to Israel, our problem with Shemitah is what fruits can I eat? But if you happen to be a fruit farmer, once in seven years, you don't have fruit. And the non-fruit farmers are farming and harvesting anyway. So you're never between a rock and a hard place. This is an unbelievable betachet amun and the in the time of the first base Hamikdash, when Kol Yoshveha Aleha, that means to say not only Jews lived in Israel, but all the Jewish people lived in Israel, there was even a higher standard. And the higher standard was the one we're reading in our passion. That not only we now had to harvest the land once in a sabbatical, every seven years all debts were erased. Unbelievable. People borrowed money from you, Shemitah came, Shemitah went, finished, we're friends, nothing happened. How much betacha do you have to have in Hashem that the bread you eat comes from Him and not from your earning power? Do you imagine you earn money and people work very hard to earn money. You give it to a person. He doesn't pay it back and he doesn't owe it to you. Why not? What do you mean why? The penasa didn't come from Him. The penasa didn't come from you and your hard work. The penasa came from Hashem. Hashem provided. He's going to continue to provide. The proof that you believe that Hashem provides and you're not going to ask Him for the money. It takes an enormous amount of betach. That's the gist of it. That's the essence of it. And like I said to you, there's basically three standards. There's the Chutz La'arad standard. There's the Eretz Yisrael standard. And there's Bizman Shakol Yeshveha Oleha, which only existed in time of the first place in Mekdash till about a hundred years before the Chorban, when all twelve Shvatas, or at least the vast majority, live in the Holy Land. The first standard, it's best to have betach and the moon and the Ebishter, but not that once in seven years you don't work. In Eretz Yisrael there's Shemitah. Once in seven years there's no harvest. And when Kol Yisrael once in seven years all debts are erased. So the Abar Benel talks about this. And I'm showing you the left side of the page, page 10. Okay? Kfar Kosafi says the Abar Benel, I've already written, Shabahu ha-mitzvah se'ela b'kan, 
Bemadregya. These mitzvahs are enumerated in, in, in a gradation, in steps, from the easiest to the more difficult. The Imeyes Kula, though all of them are Misug, Hanedivus, Uminov, they all involve Nedivus. What does Nedivus mean? Generosity, giving, benevolence, there's levels. Level number one, Kirishayna, the first level is Tziva Alamaiser Sheni. The second tithe, a Jewish person harvest, harvested, so the first Maiser went to the Levi. The second harvest, second Maiser, went to him. He kept it, but you had to eat it in Yerushalayim. Okay? The fishu It's not that difficult to take 10% of what you earn and eat it on vacation, basically. You imagine 10% of your earnings you have to take, you have to spend it on vacation. You have to take it to Yerushalayim and make a feast and a party and invite guests and relatives and friends and the poor and make a feast. Uh, it's still an inconvenience. You'd rather invest the money in something else. Tabit Tabit says 10% of your earnings you have to eat in Yerushalayim. A higher standard. Then it talks about the tithe that you have to give to the Aniyim, to the poor people, which was done during the cycle of years, the third year and the sixth year of the Shemitah cycle. Maiser Sheni was applicable the first year and the second year, the fourth year and the fifth year. And Maiser Ani was applicable the third year and the sixth year. This tithe you separated and you gave it to poor people. Shuhua Maiser Asheni Anifrash, it's the second tithe, has it separated. Bashana Shlish is the third and the sixth year. That's more difficult to do. Why? You're separating 10% of your earnings and you're giving it to somebody else. Shuhunasan Kulalani was given to poor people. Then the Torah commands us the laws of the sabbatical, which is even more difficult. That's even more difficult. That a human being should give. Okay? Not just a tithe, 10%. Even the 80% or whatever it is, the 78% or the 70%. 7% which you are allowed to keep in Yalveyu, you lend it to a person. And the person is supposed to give it back. That you wait for the borrower to pay you back for a long time. And then Shemitah comes and Shemitah goes. Can't ask for it. You lose it. This is even a more difficult level of Amun and Betach. To have Amun and Betach and take 10% of what you earn and eat it in Yerushalayim is one thing. To take 10% of what you have and give it away to a poor person is another. But the money that's yours, to lend it to a person with the intent of getting it back, and he just waits a couple of days too long, Shemitah comes, Shemitah goes, the debt is paid, is, the debt is off. And the last thing is, the last Pasha is the Pasha of the very poor person, Shehibit Stalker. This is called giving charity. Charity means giving without the intent of ever getting it back. The Ababa now claims that tzedakah is even more difficult. It's always applicable. It doesn't only have a season and you're never going to see the money again and so forth. So the Ababa now says that tzedakah is a greater sacrifice than the Mil's Chasadim. Notwithstanding what I said to you in the introduction, there are those who say that there's a greater, there's certainly greater connection between the borrower and the lender in a halva, in a loan, than between a nisan and a makabah, between a giver and a receiver of tzedakah. This is the introduction. That the Torah has 
more and more higher and higher, deeper and deeper expectation of us. And it really comes down to betachem. The more betachem we have, the easier it is for us to do mitzvahs that cost, that have a price. Right? The Rebbe once said that if I bring it. The more betachem a yid has at the Eivishter, the easier it is for a person to give more. And the truth is that when we have more betachem and Hashem, and we serve Hashem with greater mesidus nefesh, we see miracles, we see the hand of Hashem to a greater extent. There's a famous story, which I don't want to talk to you about for too long, but the Holy Vaditcheveh, the Helika Vaditcheveh, was informed that the miser died. It's a famous story. It was a very, very wealthy Jew in who never gave tzedakah. Never. Very, very wealthy. Never gave any tzedakah. And they came to the Vaditcheveh and said, you hear the, the rich miser died. Said, yeah, the miser died. I'm going to his funeral. And please announce to everybody in town that I'm going to his funeral. I want the people to know. People hear that the Helika Vaditcheveh is going to his Leviah, so who's not going to go? So the whole city accompanied this miser. And after the funeral, they came to the Baal Shemtiv, and they said to the Baal Shemtiv, he says, the man was so wealthy, and he was such a miser, he was so mean, he was so insensitive, he was so without a heart, and you went to his funeral, and in your honor, the whole community, what, what the chus does he have? So the Badishman says, I don't know how much of a miser he was, I met him on three occasions, he says. And each time was by a din teda. And it was because of these three din teda, that uh, I decided to go to his funeral. And he tells them three stories. I'll, I'll make it the kids in it. I can tell the story for 20 minutes. I don't have 20 minutes. I don't even know if you have, but I can show them. He says there was a woman whose husband was Nebuchadnezzar Yutlah. He was, he was useless. He couldn't make a living. And he thought he was a tailor, whatever he was, a professional of some sort, a woman, yeah, some kind of a, a craftsperson. He figures he'll go out into the world and try his luck. It's not working yet. It's full. It says memory form. So he, um, he uh, tells his wife that he's working for this rich guy. And that every Friday she should go into him and he'll give her money. And when he returns, he's going to pay him back. The whole thing was a mamish or baba mice, had absolutely no credibility. He disappears, he figures his wife will show up Friday and she'll find out there's nothing to eat and she'll make a hysterics and someone will have mercy on her. He didn't think she was going to die. And you come back and she'll hit him with a broom, but then there'll be panasa. She shows up at this man's office on Friday and she's asking for money. And the secretary says, I don't know who you are. And she makes a big deal and the boss comes out. and he, Yeah, I forgot to tell you. Write her down every Friday. Give her the money. Anyway, a year later he shows up. He's expecting his wife is going to rip him in shreds. And the house is so peaceful and so calm. And he says to her, how's everything? Oh, you made such good arrangements. I went every Friday. He was shocked. Because this was... Mr. Miser, he didn't give two nickels to Stucker. So he comes to his office and he storms into the place and says, I owe you all this money. He says, excuse me, I don't know who you are. You gave my wife food every Friday. I don't know you, I never met you. I have no business with you. Get out of my office. Anyway, he argues back and forth. I owe you money and you were so kind. He didn't have to do it and I tricked my wife and so on. And I'm like, anyway, there was a whole big argument. He wants to give him the money, refuses to take it. They went to the Badichevet and they don't have Paskin that he should give it, but he doesn't have to take it. The money could go to Stucker. It was the first dintator. The second dintator was about a Jew who came to town and lost several hundred rubles that he had borrowed for investment purposes. And when he saw that the money was gone, he fainted. Someone stole the someone pickpocketed it. This was money that he could never pay back. Never. Impossible in his lifetime. 
and uh, they wake him up and he faints. The rich man hears about it. So he, uh, he goes over to this fellow and says, tell me, you lost your wallet. How much money was in it and in what denominations? And he tells him that they had so many hundreds and so many fifties and so many fives and so many ones. He goes home and takes exactly that money, puts it into an old wallet and he brings me here, I found your money. Gives me money. The Ganef sees this. The actual thief witnesses this. See, he feels so terrible, he comes to the rich man and says, listen, I, I, I stole the money. Here's the money. He said, I don't know you. Get out of my life. So they went to the dentator to write this in the Badichavet. And again, the Badichavet had to pass him. And the third time was the most interesting story of all. A man comes and want to borrow money. He says, when are you going to pay it back? It's six months and a year. What happens if you don't pay the money? I need an audit. I need a guarantor. I don't have it. So I can't give you the money. Okay. The Amish will be my guarantor. The Amish, that's a good guarantor. Sure. Gives him the loan. A year later, he comes back. And he wants to pay him the loan. He says, uh, the order paid already. The guarantor already delivered the gout. You don't owe me the money. So I went ahead of the But the Shiva said that for these three dentators, they went to his Leviathan. So in other words, things are not always as they appear, evidently. In any case. Now, sorry? Is there something about the Rebbe once said? Yeah, because you got distracted. That, what did I say that Rebbe said about Shabbat Um Now, so let's get to the topic at hand. Beginning with Rashi. Go back to page one. The question again is, in Pasuk Dalet it says, that lo yir b'chah evdein, there will not be amongst you any poor people. And in Pasuk Yedalaf it says, ki lo yechtal avyein mikerev aris. There will never be a point where there won't be somebody that's poor. There will always be poor people. Okay? So we're going to begin actually in an unusual place. Let's look at Yenizim and Adil, page two. I, I said one, look to page two. Yerza ben Aziel is the oldest work of Teresh HaMaper that exists. It was written well before the destruction of the second Besamitim. It's the oldest holy book that we possess, the Stat Netanach. It predates the Mishnah, it predates the Zayar. It was written by Yerza ben Aziel, who was the Talmidim of Hillel. So we're going to read page 2, the Yerza ben Aziel is at the top of the page, Pasuk Dalit. L'choyit. Only. Okay, it's a, it's a different Aramaic, so hopefully I'll translate it correctly. In atun asikin If you will be occupied in the mitzvahs of the Torah, lo yeheve bechoyin maskina. There will not be amongst you maskina. Maskina means in context poor people. That means vulnerable people. Arum because beracha yevarchecho na deshem. God Almighty will bless you. Ba'ara on the land that the Shem of the Kocha, the God your God, Yahweh Lachain gave to you, Achasana as an inheritance, Lemeta, that you should inherit it. So Yerusha Menazil says that if Jewish people learn Tayyid and do mitzvahs, there won't be any poor people. Now let's go to page 4 and let's read what Yerusha Menazil has to say about Pasagiralf. Uh, Arum. However, metul if the light sights in base Yisrael be mitzvase the Jewish people are not particular about doing mitzvahs. Loy paskin maskinin. There will not be an interruption of vulnerable, of needy, of dependent people. We don't have page six is the Gemara, so you just have to trust the rest of the pasuk continues in kind. So the Yerizim and Azil says what a lot of mafarshim say, as we see momentarily, that it's up to us. The Abishta says, if we do Teir Mitzvah, there will not be any poor people. 
If we don't do Tere Mitzvahs, there will always be poor people. There's no way in a community like ours, a community of Jews, that just by happenstance, just by nature taking its course, they won't be rich and poor, they will always be poor people. If, however, Jewish people all serve the Rebishter, there will be no dependency. This is what the Targum Yenis and says. Now, Rashi, page one, Rashi says essentially the same thing, so let's do it quick. Page one, Dalit. Ephes, I don't know how to translate the word Ephes. However, emphasis, exclusively, but some commentaries say Ephes means no, 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 no. It's never going to happen. You'll see. In Pasuket Aleph it's written, There will never be an interruption of poverty. And in this Pasuket it says, there won't be any poverty at all. Allah, the answer is, if you do the will of the Rebishter, there will be poor people amongst others, not amongst you. If God forbid we fail to do the will of the Rebishter, there's going to be poor people amongst the Jewish people. So superficially, Rashi is saying exactly the same thing as Yenus and if all Jews are from, and by the way, just for the record, from involves two basic components. Bein Adam Lamokim and Bein Adam Lachavere. And from means we do both halves. Now we decide that we're pious in one area or pious in the other. We're full Yidin. We have fine meters and we also serve and connect to Hashem. There won't be any poverty. I want you just to know what Hasidus says. This expression, Oisim Ritzoyinu Shalmokim, appears in the Shas and the Gemara in numerous places. There are many, many, many cases where the Gemara observes contradiction. And the Gemara says, "Can be shosh Yisrael oisim b'tzayin shemalkan, can be Yisrael b'shosh ein Yisrael oisim b'tzayin shemalkan." Here, the Jewish people are doing the will of Hashem, and here they are. So the Chassidus translates, "Oisim b'tzayin shemalkan" doesn't simply mean doing Hashem's will. "Oisim b'tzayin shemalkan" means creating Hashem's will. "Can be shosh Yisrael oisim b'tzayin shemalkan." They serve Hashem on such a high level that they create a new will in Hashem. That means they're from. They do mitzvahs. But not on a level of not on a level of where they're creating, so to speak, a new will. And the Rebishter, so if it's not even if they do the mitzvahs, but there isn't this deep level of intensity, which is called creating the will of the Rebishter, so then it's possible simply by the forces of nature, simply by the normal order of things, that they should be rich and poor. Okay? This is Rashi. What's next? Ebenezer. Ebenezer's page 2. And I should have arrowed it. Okay, you can see that I scribbled everywhere, but I didn't arrow it. Um, Ebenezer's on page 2. It's the right side of the page by the Dalit. I hope you can find it, because I, I usually like to indicate it. I, I simply forgot to. Okay? And he says, Ephes, however, Hatam, the way you read these words are as follows. That you should know. This that I commanded you, that you should not oppress your brother. This is called when you're, when you're collecting a debt. When somebody owes you money and you want your money back, what do you do? You nudge. Right? That's called, nudge. It's called, you harass the person. 
The iser is leisigesh. You're not allowed to bother the person. Which is why, if the person gave you a, a mashkin, the person gave you a collateral, there's no halach of hashmatas ksav. Because you don't have to bother him. He has to bother you. He wants his collateral back. You understand? That's the halach. So leisigesh means you're not allowed to bother a person for the loan once Shemitah comes and goes. Says Ebenezer, it will not be necessary if all or even the majority of Jews are shaymin b'kayl Hashem, listen to Hashem's voice, us, under those circumstances, there'll be nobody poor, that you would need to lend him money. You will all lend money to Goyim. And Ebenezer tells you what I told you earlier, that the word avoid doesn't mean borrow and lend, it actually means to take a collateral. The word ta'avaitu means taking a, a mashkin, taking a lateral for the bavur ha'mam for the money that you're giving. So Ebenezer says more or less the same thing as Rashi. He agrees with Rashi that it is possible in the real world that there should be a moment in the history of the Jewish people that that one Jew should be dependent. In the words of the Targum, there should be one Jew that's miskeen, not one Jew that's vulnerable, that's one Jew that's needy. If we're good people. Ebenezer says even more than Rashi. It doesn't even require all of us to be good people. It's sufficient if the majority of us are good people. This is what the Ebenezer adds. Right? Yes, ma'am. In that case, how come there are big tzaddikim who are so poor? We'll talk about that. Yeah, that's mentioned in some of the Mepharshim. Point well taken. Turn to page 4. Ramban. Okay, the Ramban says it the way it is. Ramban, Mittamol gets practical. This Ramban is more typical of an evidence. The Ramban says, it's possible in theory, it's possible in theory that all Jews should be tzaddikim and there should be no dependent class. Every Jew should be self-sufficient. But it's possible only in theory. <laughs> in reality... There will always be Jews who are not tzaddikim, and therefore there will always be poor people. That's how he reads the psukim. There is a remote possibility. There's a hypothetical. Theoretically, if all yidn are tzaddikim, there won't be a dependent class. But, there will always be poor people. Let's read the Ramban. Page 4, the left side. I don't know how to describe Ramban to you. It's It's... One group of small illegible letters. <laughs> I can lend you my glasses, but then I won't be able to see. This is the Ramban, right here. This is the Ramban, okay? The correct interpretation is that he's trying to say, There will never be a point where there's no poor people. That it's impossible that such a thing should happen ever. Okay. Why is Hashem saying, I guarantee you, it's never going to happen that there won't be poor people. I thank you, that sounds very encouraging. I thank you very much, Abishter, for the honesty. Right? We keep honesty for ourselves. Bavur Since in Pasuk Dalad, He promised, There won't be any poor people. If all Jews keep all the mitzvahs. So now the Abishter says, Listen, you I told you that if you all keep all the mitzvahs, there won't be any poor people. And I stand by that. The problem is, Avol Yodaiti, but I know, Kilayihi Yukola Dedes, Kol Yimei 
Kulam Shemim Kala Mitzvahs. In no generation, from now till the end of time, is it going to be a generation of Jews who are so pious and so righteous that they won't be rich and poor. This is what he says. They will not at all need this mitzvah of uh, looking after poor people. I, how do you want to read this Ramban? The Ramban is being discouraging, the Ramban is being uh, uncharacteristically negative or realistic. This sounds more Ebenezer-like. If you, if you understand the personalities of the Rishayim, Ebenezer is always so logical, so down to earth. But this is what the Ramban says. The Torah says Ephes. In theory, it's possible that lo But the Torah says I hate to say it. In reality, it's not going to happen. So the Ebenezer, the Ramban is different than the Ebenezer and Rashi. Right? What's next? Sipurnu. And the Sipurnu begins on page... Two. By the way, this is finger exercise. After the class, your fingers will be strong. That's part of the idea. Okay? Page two at the very, very bottom of the page on the left side. Page two at the very, very bottom of the page on the left side. It says, Though I told you that when Shemitah comes and Shemitah goes, loans are erased and have to be repaid. Hine. Behold, Loi, turn to page 4. Loi, Yikir Bachem, Eizaleve, Shetistarach Lashamit. It's going to happen. In fact, says the support new, that there will simply be no borrowers. Every Jew is going to have sufficient panasa, and he won't need another Jew. And the Sipanu says the most powerful thing of all. He tells you when it actually occurred. Vizabli Safik Niskayim, this happened. Bedoir Boyehoritz, the Jews who entered the Holy Land, as long as Yeshua lived, as long as the elders that lived beyond Yeshua's lifetime, Jews were from all of them. They lived in the real world, they weren't living in a cloud eating Mamanashamayim, and no Jew borrowed from another. So this actually occurred. But it occurred only then. And if you wanted to play a little cutting and pasting, you could say that the Ramban would be a very good tandem with the Sipurna. It happened, but it's never happening again. It happened in historic times, it happened in the times of Yeshua, which is after the Chumash was written, but immediately after. And since that time, the Tater says, There'll always be poor people, because there'll always be somebody or some group of people that uh, could be more pious and righteous. And of course it doesn't mean us, because we're the most pious and righteous people in the world, as everybody knows. Okay. Now, let me see what to do next. I am slightly aware of the clock. Only slightly, but I am slightly aware of the clock. Okay. Now, let's move along to the Gemara. The Gemara is on page 6. Okay, I hope you can read it. I made an arrow on the right side of your page and on the left side of your page. This is one of the most familiar Gemaras. I must tell you, this Gemara is a classic, uh, a truly classic Gemara. And uh, I would be totally remiss if I had not enclosed this, included this, it would be uh, a big infraction. It would be a big Aveda. The Gemara tells a story. You see what I'm reading? It's near the top of the page. This is a Mesichdom of Basra, which has a whole discussion that goes on for many pages about Tzedakah. And the Gemara says as follows, Vizu Shaila, this question, that Shaul to Nusrupus Harosha Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was asked this question by the evil 
a Roman officer of some category, some status, I don't know what he was, whose name was Tunisrupus. If God Almighty loves poor people, why doesn't he feed them? In other words, typical Roman, if they're suffering, let them suffer. They deserve it. They're losers. They're not chavimans. Oh, Malay, so Rabbi Akiva answered to Nisrupas. They make them poor. So we shouldn't go to Gehenim. Send the copies on, please. Okay. Amalei, so Tanisrupa says to Rebekiv again, again in typical Roman fashion. It's, it's reminiscent of Sadoya, you know, Republicans to the extreme. I have, I earned it fair and square, don't take my money. You don't have, suffer, work hard. Oh, you don't know how to make a living, you're a loser, so that's, that's your problem. That's the way it works. It's a real world, right? This is America. What do they call it? Individual rights, individual opportunity. I take care of me. I don't steal from anybody, but I don't give to nobody. In Sadoi, this was taken to an extreme. This was a Roman officer who had the same culture, the same philosophy that said, people who are downtrodden, they're, they're supposed to be an underclass. Why should I help them? Let them suffer. He says, The fact that they're poor is proof that they're worthy of Gehenim. Maybe she doesn't like him. He made them poor. So why are you redeeming them from a suffering which God Almighty imposed upon them? Obviously because it's warranted, because they deserve it. It's just. So Tanasrupas gives Rabbi Akiva Moshe. Listen to the exchange carefully. What's his analogous to? A king of the flesh. He gets angry at his servant. He puts him in jail. V'tziva Allah, and he gave instructions regarding him. Nobody should feed him. Nobody should give him water. And let him suffer. So what happened? There was one weakness, one weakling, one person who didn't have a tough Roman spine, and he couldn't watch a person suffer. And helplessly he fed him. The one man went, gave him to eat and gave him to drink. The king hears about it like he's not going to get angry. The king said, Don't feed him. The king said, Let him suffer. Why did you give him to eat? All of a sudden, he became the rabbi and a scholar and a Talmudist. It says, In your tale, you call Hashem servants. And the Pasik says, The Jewish people are my slaves. So, why are you feeding those who Hashem personally impoverished? answers him. I'll answer you with an analogy. What is this analogous to? It's the f- fourth of the middle lines. A king of the flesh. Circled. Who got angry not at a servant but at his son. He puts him in jail. And he gave instructions regarding him. Don't give him to eat. Don't let him to drink. Let him suffer. One man went. And he fed him. And he gave him water. The king here, that somebody took mercy on his son, who he was so mean to that he prohibited anybody else from feeding. What's he going to do? He's not going to thank him and send him a gift for violating his instructions and feeding his son. Says Rabbi Kiva tells Tunisov, we are Hashem's children. The as the says, we are Hashem's children. 
Okay? All my lies, the Tunisrupas was a bigger scowl than you think. You think he gave up so easy? Rabbi Kiva says we're Hashem's children. And when Hashem is angry at his child, he still wants us to look after him. Tunisrupas says we're Hashem's slave. When Hashem punishes a slave, he wants him to languish and to suffer. So Tunisrupas now answers Rabbi Akiva as follows. You are in fact called Hashem's children, but you're also called Hashem's slaves. What's the rule? Notice that same phrase. When you create the will of Hashem, or on a basic level, do the will of Hashem, you're called Hashem's children. When, however, you do not do the wishes of the Rebishter, you're called his slaves. The Akshav says the Roman, at this particular juncture, you're not doing the will of Hashem because the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed and you've become vassals, you become puppets, you become slaves, subordinates to the Romans. So clearly Hashem doesn't like you because you're not doing His wishes and therefore you're slaves. And when you're slaves and Hashem said, let them starve, you're not supposed to feed them. Amalei says, Rabbi Akiva, the Pasuk says, the Tehidah says, extend your bread to the hungry. And people who are extremely poor, bring them, invite them into your home. Okay? When are Jewish people so impoverished and called Aniyam Erudim, poor and abused, now, in the times of Golas? The Kalman, the Taylor says, Feed him anyways. This is the Gemara. This is one of the most famous Gemaras, really. But Rabbi Akiva says the Abish made poor people, so the rich people should support it. That's why. And to the Srapis talks to him about equity, about republicanism, right? About lowering taxes, right? And, uh, and let the poor people worry about themselves. So to Rabbi Akiva, the Abish made poor for the rich Canadian, for the rich Elamhaba. And to the Srapis says, What do you mean? They have it coming to them. Look, Rabbi Akiva, it doesn't make a difference. Even if you're right and you have a comment on the Abish, it says, feed him anyway. This is the Gemara. This is the Gemara. Now, there's so much more in here and there's no time left. So the next is the Yalkut, page 7 and page 8 of the Yalkut. Shemani, what you're going to do on your own. Okay? Let's do page 9 now, the Riva. The good news about the Riva is that it's very abbreviated, it's very concise. Listen to this. Okay, listen to his interpretation. It's a very nice shot. If you can do two things at once, right? Everybody has, Baruch Hashem, five fingers. So hold on to page nine and at the same time go back to page one. Okay? Do two, I know it's complicated, but I think it's manageable. Top of the page. Chumash. This is the law of the sabbatical. Shamit. You should erase. You should interrupt. All people who are demanding their loans back from somebody else. This is Isra of Layigis, who was trying to collect. Asha was collecting his debts from his fellow. Stop pursuing the lender. Vesachav and his brother, Kikara, Shmita, Madeshem, the Abish that announced that now it's Shmita, don't ask for the money back, period. As a Tiges, when you lend money to a boy and Shemitah comes, you can collect it from him. However, if you lend money to your brother, release your hand, the debt is as if it's been paid. Ephes, however, 
there won't be any more any poor people amongst you. Now go back to page nine. This is now he reads it. We all have a contradiction between two psukim. One pasuk says there will always be poor people, and then Amman says, "Let's be realistic. Maybe in theory, in hypothesis, it's possible the Jews should be so pious that there should be no poor people. In reality, there will always be poor people." The reverse is very simple. There will always be poor people. But you're not going to become poor for doing this mitzvah. Look at the words. Look at my second arrow. Shall I tell you a person shouldn't say, This is obviously a typo. How am I going to uh, obfuscate? How am I going to drop my debtors, the people who owe me money? My loans that I gave people. I'm going to become impoverished by lending people the money and not collecting it. The word Ephes goes on the lenders. However, you will not become poor. There's no way you will do this mitzvah of lending money and let Shemitah come and go and not collecting it and doing it with a smile. You're never going to become poor from it. So the two psukim are apples and oranges. Pasuk Dalit is talking about the idea that you should do the mitzvah of not collecting your debts. And Pasuk Yedav is telling you, a matter of fact, there will always be poor people, they're always going to need tzedakah, and they're always going to need emails chasad. So the, the contradiction is just completely removed because it's apples and oranges. One is addressing the issue of this mitzvah, as costly as it is, it's not going to bring you the day on Nias. And the other one is talking about the reality that there's always going to be poor people. This is the devil. Now, there's an Abarbanel, which is very, very long, and very, very, very involved. Um, <laughs> okay, page 10. We'll do Avart. The Abarbanel here really, I suppose I should say, he does the predictable thing. He says it's impossible. He agrees with the Ramban. It's impossible. When you have a nation of people, they have a civilization, they have a community. It cannot be that nobody should be poor. It's just simply impossible. And he translates the word Ephes as no. <laughs> Not as yes, no. Ephes doesn't mean, however, there won't be any poor people. Ephes means impossible. Look at what he says. You see where I'm reading? Right side of page 10. Where the arrow is. When he says Ephes, there won't be any poor people. God Almighty is going to bless you. This means it is simply logically impossible, and therefore real, realistically impossible. no poor people. It cannot be. And he translates the word "efes" not as "however," but as "impossible." Efes as ten designs. zero, zero. Right? Efes means zero. It is a zero possibility. No many poor people. It's totally impossible. They shouldn't have any poor people. Even though Hashem is going to bless you, but in a in a cross section, in a in a greater society with all the blessings of the Eibushter, there are going to be haves and have nots. Okay, you have many people. There's so many people. One at least has to be poor. That's why you have to have Shemitah. So he translates the word Ephes completely different than everybody else. 
that Amban says theoretically it's possible that there should be no poor people, but realistically it's never going to happen. The Ababa of the Ephes, there's a zero likelihood that Jewish people should be in a state where there isn't poor. Even if they all serve Hashem, even if they give them blessings, it's just the nature of a civilization. This is a very logical position, the Ababa. It's a natural position. It says in reality, in the society of many people, there has to be a cross-section, has to be all different types. Hashem could make a nest, but that's a nest. Within the framework of normal life, this is impossible. This is the Ababinel. Now, let's do the Eitz Adas Toiv on page 13. And this leads us to the point that one of the people mentioned to me before. Okay? And um, he, 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 he says an interesting thing. Eitz Adas Toiv is Abchaim Vital. This was a great Makubu. This is the disciple of Arizal who wrote Arizal's writings. This is considered a Pshute Shamikra commentary. It's considered an elementary interpretation. Um, but it's deeply steeped in Kabbalah. And he says, V'omnam. You see what I'm reading? I made three arrows, right? I got so excited when I found it. I made three arrows, okay? The question is, one Pasuk says, Efes The first Pasuk says, No, there won't be any poor people. Because the other party says there will always be poor people. Make up your mind. They wish to make up your mind. And between Pasik Dalit and Pasik Aleph, it's pretty hard to forget. It's on the same page in the same potato. And what does the Gemara answer? There were Jewish people doing the will of Hashem. There won't be any poor people. This is exactly what Rashi says. It says the Etadah is the following. He says, The point is that it seems that Panosa depends on our merits and not on our mazal. I don't know if you know this, but there's a famous Gemara, which is also cited in Chastiris a lot, in Mesichta Tainus. Tractate Tainus talks about rain. And rain is anonymous with Panosa. So the Gemara says in Mesichta Tainus that children, health, and Panosa, Ella b'mazletalia. It's not dependent upon schus. It's dependent upon mazel. What's mazel? A long story, not for tonight. Bottom line is, why could you have a tzaddik who's hungry? Because it's mazel. It's not schus. The Gemara Rebbe brings the uh, he brings here that Blazer ben Pedas. Blazer ben Pedas was a big tzaddik, and he was excessively poor, excessively poor. You know how poor he was. The Gemara says he dove into the Eivishter that he wants to get rich. So the Eivishter says, listen. If you want, I'll erase the world. Take a black, take an eraser, just erase the whole world. I'll start from other munition over again. And maybe when I get to you, you'll be born in a different mazel. You understand? The brother of was poor. He died and said, hey, Bishter, I don't want to be poor. Was, okay, you know, I'll take, if you want, I'll erase everything. Start from Bereshus. And maybe when it gets to you, you'll be born an hour off, an hour before, an hour later, you'll be in a different mazel. It's a very strange Gemara. And it deserves our attention. We don't have time for it. But it illustrates the point of mazel. There's an element in mazel, mazel, let's just say this, which you can't explain. We're not going to say that Hashem is not in charge, but we don't understand how He's in charge. Zuchus means the righteous are rewarded and the opposite of righteous are the opposite of rewarded. Mazel means it's very difficult to figure out. Right? So He says, Kenira, I'm seven lines from the bottom of the first column, or the third column, Shetaloi v'schus v'mazel panos seems to be dependent upon zuchus and not in mazel. 
I'm trying to save time. Bottom line is, there's a difference between Eretz Yisrael and outside of Eretz Yisrael. That's how he draws the distinction. And he says, When Jews are exiled outside of the Holy Land, it's imperative that has to do with Mazel. Because outside of Israel, the Mazolists have some kind of influence, even on the Jewish people, the Yesem Shom. It means Hashem one day will get around to talking about Mazolists, it's not for today. Hashem is in charge of the Mazol too. It's just hard to figure out. When the Jews live on the Holy Land, on the land, gives you us, so then, if they do the will of the Ebishter, tap on the second column or the last column, the Zechus is underlined. It's Talia and Zechus. There's no Mazel. So the Eitzadaz adds another dimension to this. He says, it's not as simple as doing what Hashem wants and not doing what Hashem wants. It's a combination. In Israel, if you do what Hashem wants, you determine your own destiny. There's no Mazel. It's all Zechus. If you don't do what Hashem wants, you determine your own destiny. <laughs> but it's not so pleasant. Outside of Eretz Yisrael, there's more to what happens than our schus. There's a mazal element. There's an inexplicable component. So he separates Pasuk Dalet from Pasuk Yiralef, basing it on the word Ba'atzechah. If you go back to page one, again, if you have dexterous enough fingers to hang on to 13 and 1 at the same time, Right? In Pasuk Dalet it says, Kelayyeh b'cha evin kivari chavarach adashem alakecha Hashem ba'aretz Hashem alashem alakecha Hashem alashem alakecha Hashem alashem alakecha Has to do with the Holy Land. Okay? I, I suppose he says He says Ba'atzach and Pasuk Yiralef as well. So I don't know. But that's how he draws the distinction. In Israel it's totally in Zuchus alone. Outside of Israel it's a combination of Zuchus and Mazel. So he's also resolving the question and he adds another twist Another nuance to the discussion. And then he of course says the point that one of the women mentions, I just want to show it to you inside, where he says, Omnum, I think I'm nine lines from the top of the fourth column, over here. He says, Omnum eina inyan ella, shekasher ein Yisrael eisem etzenish Page 13, you see? Yisrael is the first word on the line. It must be nine lines from the top of the fourth column, when Jewish people are not the way they're supposed to be, the whole generation is given over to the mazel. It no longer is dependent on the individual's own merits. Once the generation is determined to be non-righteous and they're subject to mazel, it's not just the Rishayim, it's everybody. And this is where you start getting confused if God's in charge, you know, the classic question, Sadik if he's righteous, why is he suffering? And the answer is, there's a connection between one Jew and all Jews. Okay? This is the Eitz Enough. Now, on page 14, you have a Shalom. Oh yeah, I wish I had another album. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Very generous and kind of you. Let me tell you what the Shalom says. I, I found this Shalom like a needle in a haystack. The, how I found this Shalom is a miracle. But 
The Shalah has a discourse on the letters Mem and Samach. The final Mem in the letter Samach, which is discussed in the Shas also. Mem and Samach are both sealed. The difference, however, is the Samach is round at the bottom and the Mem is square at the bottom. The round bottom indicates a lack of firmness, a lack of permanence. The square bottom of the Mem demonstrates permanence and wholeness. Okay? And he says that the Mem and the Samach, let, let, let's use Hasidic terminology in enlightening the Shalom. I'm not going to read the Shalom inside, but of course everybody here is going to take this home and you're going to review every single thing that we learned, plus you're going to read the Yalkut and all the things that we skipped. And of course you'll read the Shalom yourself. So I'm going to help you learn it on your own. You take it home tonight at about 1.30 in the morning when you get to it, but please no phone calls. Uh, um, so I'll just tell you briefly what he says. Think of it in these terms. We speak about making the world a home for Hashem. A home needs four walls. If a home has only three walls, like for example a base or a hay or a ches, it's open on one side. And you know what the Gemara says, that the Abishta made the world, that Ruach Tzvein is psucha. Hashem didn't seal the northern sky. And it's a medish that the Abishta says, if you think you're such a wonderful scientist, you finish what I started. I left the, the northern heavens open, let me see you close it up. It says that the, the shape of many letters is closed on three sides and open on the fourth. It shows them lack of perfection. The Mem and the Samach are sealed, which shows on a permanent home for the Rebbe. But there's a difference. The Samach is circular, which shows that this home is rocking. And the Mem is square, which shows that the home is permanent. So the Shalom said, this is the difference between a Sukkah and a bias. A Sukkah is a temporary home, a hut. And a bias is a permanent home. And the sukkah represents us making the world a home for Hashem. But it's a precarious home. It's a vulnerable home. And therefore, the first letter of the word sukkah is a samach. To indicate that even though you've made Hashem's home and you've closed it more for directions, it's tilted, it's shaking back and forth. As opposed to bias, the herbert at home of the Abishtir, it begins with the letter base of Bereshis and it culminates with the Mem. It changes from a base to a Mem. It's a long story how that happens and why that happens. You're just going to have to take my word for it, okay? That the base is, is, is semi-permanent and from the base becomes, the base of Bereshis becomes the Mem of Lamar Bahamisra. It's a long discussion in many Sifi Muslims. But this is how he resolves the question. When we make a home for Hashem, but the home is precarious, it's Samach-like. In a world like that, there's poor people. If we make the home for Hashem, but it's Mem-like, it's a healthy home for Hashem, then Ephes, then there won't be any poor people. That's how he resolves it. He says, if the home we make for Hashem, we made a home for Hashem, we're good Jews. And we built a home for Hashem, and we've closed it in all four sides. But if it's flimsy, if it's weak, if it lacks uh, integrity, it's comparable to a Samach. It's vulnerable and it's weak. And the Tater says, in that environment there's still miskinim, vulnerable ones, dependent ones, needy ones. If the home we make for Hashem is Shlosmem like, it's healthy, it's solid, it's permanent, so he links it to different levels. And for those who like Kabbalah, it's a difference between Bina and Chochmah. What does that mean? At this moment I have no idea. Okay, this is the Shalom. And then we have the Rebbe Sikha. And the Rebbe says such a simple thing. A very posh tazach. 
I made an arrow. This is from the Kutasichas Chelik I forgot. <laughs> That's a great answer, eh? I think it's I think it's Chelik Yutes. Maybe it's Chodal. Says the Rebbe like this. This was this was a sikh that the Rebbe said in the eve of a Shemitah year, or the end of a Shemitah year. On Dorah Deran Hagah through this conduct, Vatman Zaychazayim Bekarav, we will reach imminently some Kiyum Hayir to the realization of the prophecy. From La Yiyeh Bechah Evyeh, that Pasuk Dalad, there will not be any poor people. Although in Pasuk Yeralaf it says Kiliyachal Evyeh, says the Rebbe Yeshleima, as Bechol Zeh Vederinim from Kamach Erdan Zayin, that even when there's no longer poor people who need gifts of charity, there will always be the idea of Jews helping each other out. Gmilas chasadim, giving alone. And I'm understanding the implication to be that the Taylor says, there will always be the need for people to help each other. But it's conceivable that there will be a point where there will not be a need for people to give each other. There's a big difference between tzedakah and gemilas chasadim. And I want you to know, the Rebbe the Tzemach Tzedek once said a maimit about the importance of Gemilas Chassadim, people giving loans. So a whole group of business people made a whole train of borrowing and lending. They didn't even need the money. They would just lend and borrow to do the mitzvah. And they would hold the money till they didn't get a date to return it. And when the Rebbe the Tzemach Tzedek was informed that they were borrowing and lending, not, they didn't need it for their business, they were just doing the mitzvah, it gave the Tzemach Tzedek a gavaldik and achasruach. Unbelievable nachas, unbelievable pleasure. And now, let's turn to the end of the package. And you have here a mimer from 380 which I didn't print in its entirety. And I'm not going to learn it with you. And on page 19, there's a letter. And on page 20, there's a letter. And on page 21, there's a letter from 380 What we're about to read is a story that I've told the women who come to my regular classes many, many times over the years. It's an interesting episode. It's a piece of history. And I want to finish the class with this and um, it's, it's page 19. And what we're about to read is a story of the Rebbe Marash saying a maimet. The maimet that the Rebbe Marash said on that occasion is published. And the maimet from the previous Rebbe, which was said in 1931, which I printed before, is based on that maimet. Here's the story. In Russian, Tsarist Russia, Jews suffered miserably. Miserably, miserably, miserably. It's unimaginable how difficult life was. One of the symptoms of the suffering was that the government used to, t- used to place restrictions on where Jewish people could live. And from time to time, they would just change the border. That's it, change the border. And they decided they're too close to this country, too close to that country, too close. What they're really saying was the Jewish people built a city, they became successful. Let's take it away from them, let's start over. You know what happens when the community of Jews is told, move, move. Oh, sure, you could sell your property, you could sell your business, you could sell your livestock. What are you getting for it? The cruelty of it was, 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 was you know, Mazarist Russia. <laughs> it, was, it was brutal. And every 50 years or so, they just moved the border. That's it. So in, 19, in 1868, such an event occurred. They moved the border. And there were Jews inside the border. And there were never Jews, I think it was 50 communities outside the border. Have to bail each other out, and you need big money, and nobody had any money. The rich were not rich. Okay, so the, on page nineteen, on the right side of the page, Reish Nun Dalit. Okay, the previous Rebbe goes into all these details. That they had a very high tax, 
and they were unable to pay the tax. So I'm gonna I'm gonna show you. Lift up your eyes, please. Right there. Ad. Okay, it's the second full paragraph or the third full paragraph in the bottom. Four lines from the end. Ad Shabishna Stafresh of Khas in the year 1868. Um many communities. Ubaye said, especially the Mahuzis, Kalaraj Ubenderi. These are neighborhoods, these are regions in Russia. Bawad Mishba, the communities were collapsing under the weight of the taxation. They couldn't pay the taxes. That was collected over the course of two years. So first of all, they were going to be displaced. They were looking forward. There was an anticipation of God forbid they would be incarcerated. Many great taxes. Shahaya, who was Raish Askani Akval the leader of the Askani Akval in his generation, his Anil Bematsalam looked into their circumstances, into their conditions. Viyavakesh Leizam, he wanted to help them. Olafi, and since, Sharev Bali Hachudis Hashirim, most of the wealthy landowners of Mechuzes Kalarashu Benderi, Golobir Kishinov, the city of Kishinov had a substantial number of well to do Jews. Hine, the Reb Marash was coming back from Marinband. The Rebbe spells it here with the Nun uh, after the Ayin. The Reb Marash traveled for health to Marinband, which is in Austria. And it's near Vienna, I believe. And on the way back, I could be I'm wrong, wherever it is, someplace in Western Europe, he stopped in Kishinov. Bethchilas Elo, Shnaz, Tafresh, Chof Ches. He was on the way home to Lubavitch. So Nosa Derech Adesa, he stopped in the city of Adesa. Bikavona, with the intent, Lasis Magbis, to make a fundraiser, Litevasam, for the benefit of these Jews, by Adesa Uba Kishina. Ashide Adesa, the rich people of Adesa, Nisaidid Ubisaidid as Teva, they were very aroused, Vinadzus Kulam Agunim, and they gave generously to this cause. Laikein Ashide Kishinov, as opposed to the wealthy people of Kishinov. They weren't sufficiently aroused to give. And you're not talking about giving a dollar or two. You're talking about mamish. You have a million, give a half. You have a hundred, give fifty. You're talking about mamish. It's not taking your shirt off your back. But you're talking about the kind of tzedakah which Jews have given for the last two thousand years to help each other out. If you know the history, what happened in the Netherlands when the Jews came after the Inquisition. Mamish, tens of thousands of Jews just moved into Holland. And their brothers bailed them out with blood money. It happened over and over and over. After the war, after the Holocaust, what American Jews did for the survivors. It's unbelievable the kind of money that were raised. And the Mesiris Nefesh that was involved. So the Rebbe Maharash came to Kishinev and says, Divi up! We need guilt! And uh, it wasn't happening. So there's a long story which we're going to read on the next page. The bottom line is he spent the whole Tishta in Kishinov. And Ba'achas, Tzichas HaKadosh, one of the holy talks, Shahoyol Kvei Kedushas Azmorah of Kaddish of Shmuel L'Seicheach, Be'esvad Asashiri Kishinov, and it was a meaning of the wealthy people of Kishinov, he said, Omar, top of the second column, page 19, okay, now if you haven't followed me, now's the time to tune in. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Boras, Eilom HaYabruah, V'Seid Mashpiyom HaKabot. God Almighty designed His world and those who live in it to follow a pattern of givers and receivers. Everybody gives and everybody takes. Hashemayim ha'aretz, the heaven and the earth. 
Hashemayim Hashpiyim Gishmi Bracha, the earth gives us rain, for all its makabals, the earth receives it. Gam Bitzmachim, Yesh Machpiyim Makabal, amongst plants there are givers and takers, Kehadit Nan Bibsachim, Pedidal, Mishnechas, Markibim, the column called Ayyim, Baba Asabanisim, that the animals help, the plants help each other out. V'chayim Bibnei Adam, it's true amongst human beings, Yesh Ashirim, there are wealthy Jews who are Mashpiyim, who are the givers. V'aniyim Makabal, and they're the poor people who have to take. The rich need to give. And the poor need to take. It's the benefit of the wealthy. It says that I did with him. It doesn't say that he did good to me, but he did good to himself. This teaches us. That the Rus did a bigger favor to Bayas than Bayas did to Rus. More than the lay person, than the business person does to the poor person. The poor person does with the rich person. Okay? I did him a favor to let him give me. I tried very, very hard. To give me a broken piece of bread, and when he gave me that piece of bread after I pleaded with him for it, I did him a favor. Who's going to be wealthy and a giver? Who's going to be poor and a taker? Here comes the point. The poor person complains. Hey, is It may be true, master of the world. You created a world that involves people sharing, giving and receiving. Why must I be the impoverished one and the taker? And somebody else, he should be wealthy and the giver. Let me be wealthy. And they'll be poor and I'll give them. Why do I have to be poor? And the end of the story was that after the Rebbe said this, and he didn't just say it, the Rebbe Manash, when he expressed his emotions, it was like a physical force. They melted. They melted. The next paragraph says, this holy talk. It opened up their hearts. They gave generously. Um, uh, but it, it spread all over the ripples. The whole country heard about this talk and it created a, uh, a tremendous, tremendous uh, inspiration for the idea that when you give tzedakah, you're doing yourself a favor. The, there's a, there's a mimer about this. And like I said, mimer is published today. Everything is published today. The Rebbe Marash said it in 19... It's, it's, it's printed in Zeit Memorim Tov, Reish Chov Ches, 1868. The previous Rebbe repeated this mimer with his own commentary in 1931, and I printed the first half of the previous Rebbe's mimer here. I was pushing cheap on the paper. <laughs> the last two pages have another version of the same story, which, which you can read on your own. This is from the Sefer Talmud Rebbe Manash. I don't have time. The bottom line is that the Rebbe Manash was going through enormous amounts of personal hardships. His house burned to the ground. He had nothing, he had nothing to come home to. And the people... <laughs> They were afraid to tell him what happened. Because here he's suffering so much because of Yiddish Atzadis. And here he's he, he, he has to go home for Yomtev. The Rebbe got word from, some, from an alien source that he had no place to go home to. 
So he called in his shamish and sent, gave his shamish a letter with instructions what they should build and how they should build and where they should take everything. And he said, they shouldn't worry. He says, they'll work uh, 30 or 40 men or they'll work non-stop, day and night, and they'll finish the work in a, in a month. By the time the Rebbe came home, it was all done. I'm spending Tishrei in Kishinev. And he spent that Tishrei, Tafesh Choftes, 1868 to 69, in Kishinev. And this was the highlight. This Maimir, he said with so much emotion that he Pashat, gave his Nishomen to those people that when he gives tzedakah, you, you're not doing a favor, you're receiving a favor. Okay, good night, Yidinus.